Welcome to the Onassis Air Conversations. My name is Mirto Katsimicha. I'm a curator and cultural worker based in Athens and your host in this series of recorded encounters with the participants of Onassis Air. Founded on the principles of learning and doing with others, Onassis Air is an international research residency program in Athens initiated by the Onassis Foundation in 2019. They say that what happens in one place stays in that place. I cannot find a better way to describe all the things that have been happening inside the Onassis Air House since I first entered as a participant of the Critical Practices program in fall 2019. The truth is, it is not easy to transmit an open-ended process of relationing which is very personal and relevant to a specific place and moment in time. How can I then give you a glimpse into that process? Everything starts with a conversation. Throughout this series, I'll be speaking with the Onassis Air participants to shed light on their artistic practices and needs, as well as to reflect on ways of being and working together. Today, I am having a conversation with Vladimir Miller, an artist, researcher, scenographer, and dramaturg. His practice focuses on collaborative research, education, and spatial organization through the development of spatial and institutional structures for artistic research and practice. As program and research curator at APAS, Vladimir creates multidisciplinary collaborative spaces and project trajectories that encourage the production of self-organized environments of artistic practice. He is a participant of the School of Infinite Rehearsals, Movement 6, that centers around a collective study of governance with a specific focus on institutions. In this conversation, we discuss about processes of constructing spaces of collective learning. Vladimir, welcome to Pali Room. Thank you. Thanks for joining me today. It's been a while since uh, we last saw each other. And uh, it's a pleasure uh, for me to have this conversation with you today. I'd like to start by discussing your practice, which uh, oscillates between fine arts, education and performing arts. Your practice focuses on the relationship between artistic practice and the institutional space, as well as in the investigation of art and knowledge production as a spatial practice. And I'm curious to know, how did you start engaging with these questions? Uh, I started somehow in uh, the year 2009, uh, APAS, um, uh, Institute for Um, higher education artistic research they invited me to give a workshop uh, in their space in Antwerp and I think the work that I developed was partly also to in reaction to uh, to the conditions that I found there for uh, for collaborative research so when I arrived at APAS they were still in a very small space uh, situated in Antwerp um, that looked almost like a collection of small office spaces uh, and like quickly realized that uh, for a research institute, for a place where people are supposed to share their research, there was very little space uh, and very little framings for the actual research to, to happen in the, in the institution. So one of my starting questions was, well, why is that, why is that 
like this. <laughs> um, and uh, also how to create spaces where uh, doing research could be, could be done collectively in the presence of each other. And I think um, I was reading, I was reading at that time, um, uh, sort of social theory, like desertos, people um, describing cities, the way cities work, um, and also the way um, a city is also a site of, um, uh, of knowledge production, um, uh, where uh, the occupants of the city by using it already produce a certain uh, reproduce the, the city in a certain way by on their own terms. And I was uh, while reading this, I was kind of looking for a model of how to come together in the research space, and then the city became sort of the first initial model of how I understood the spaces. I, I thought it would be interesting if we would um, recreate an environment where uh, specific practices of people would have specific places in a, in a sort of a, you want to say maybe like a village, like a small village space that, that the participants would build together um, according to their own design. And this, according to their own practice, designing the spaces themselves became sort of the driving force behind the, um, the work that I've been doing since. Thank you for bringing up uh, APAS because this takes me, brings me to my next question. At uh, APAS, which is, uh, as you described, a postgraduate program for interdisciplinary artistic research in Brussels. And based on your experience and, you know, over the years, the term artistic research has been uh, employed in the academia as a labor and category of its own to define this process, a process of knowledge production. And I was wondering, how do you perceive this term through your practice? It's it's really interesting because I've been I've been just kind of reviewing one of the books that are very important for me, uh, and that's the the book called Constituent Imaginations, um, uh, which talks about the um, sort of the tradition and contemporary practices of militant research. Um, and while I'm reading uh, about militant research, I also understood that, that that's the kind of research that is um, sort of situated in communities, done by community for the community, uh, and comes from a tradition of um, sort of it Italian uh, uh, Italian resistance um, uh, worker organization practices uh, from the 60s. And I realized that actually artistic research, the way I, the way I understand it, is much closer to that definition than to any kind of definition that it can obtain by differentiating itself from academic research. I, I think a lot of thinking about artistic research has gone towards creating a kind of a palpable difference from academic research. But, um, but for me, the, the affinity to, to militant research and to activism is actually much more inspiring. Um, um, they, it's, it's kind of funny for me to read that sort of the terminology that we've been um, establishing for uh, for a long time, like situatedness, not knowing, um, collectivity, uh, um, questioning of um, the questioning of the subject object relationship in research. Um, all of this has been already established in, in the in in the activist militant research uh, theory, and we just have not made the or I have not made that connection quite yet. But how to define artistic research? Abbas is sort of based on this uh, on this idea of um, uh, kind of a cumulative definition. So we're not necessarily interested in in uh, in defining uh, one singular 
um, artistic research methodology. I think when APA started 12 years ago, artistic research was not um, as popular in academia um, yet. And the initial idea to start APA was to, to somehow also make a research on education and on artistic research and uh, just invite different positions into APAs, which understand themselves as artistic research to, to provide a kind of a platform where that definition can find itself temporarily and also change over time. And I think that's, that's been very productive uh, for us somehow to also kind of a bit avoid that question. I'm very happy that uh, you bring up the, um, the need for this multiplicity of disciplines that artistic research can entail. I would like to go back to um, what uh, you were mentioning before about uh, your interest in collaborative research and how this is uh, related to to space, to the city, to architecture. And um, in one of our previous conversations together, you, you've mentioned that participation is key in order to inhabit the institutional border. And I think that you have been developing a very interesting practice through um, the policy structure at APAS that I would like you to share a little bit more about. So the, uh, the, the policy the idea is actually to uh, create a kind of a temporary condition within institutions where the means of production are, um, are shared are shared with a um, particular open group of uh, of researchers. So, um, and by means of productions, I I mean uh, materials, uh, budgets, um, um, but also something the the abstract and immaterial um, support structures like what is the collective goal, but, um, uh, and also the modes of entry and access to that space. So I'm trying to create somehow. Um, I'm trying to create a condition where those things are, are commonized, um, so they they move away out of the uh, they structurally move away out of uh, from under the power of, of institution and are somehow given to um, um, uh, given to a group of participants or uh, yeah, um, and for me it's been very productive to to understand that um, there's a great uh, potential and also necessity uh, for this thing to happen um, because I'm I'm looking for um, for kind of spaces that are shaped by the desires and the practices of the practitioners themselves. Um, and while I'm looking for these spaces, entering institutions, I I somehow uh, more often than not find preconditioned spaces where the the practice of the um, researcher has to adapt to the to the uh, to the given conditions, and I'm trying to create spaces where that is somehow at least temporarily uh, reversed. And uh, all of the all of the setting up uh, that I'm doing negotiations with the institutions and also with the practitioners are are centered around that one uh, that one central process. I think the uh, the general mode uh, of this practice is also uh, a disorganization. Uh, I think um, institutions are already organized towards certain uh, certain kind of productions and towards uh, welcoming and supporting certain kind of practices in their um, in their institutional spaces. And what I'm trying to do is to first of all disorganize this already previous organization 
so that the so that the community of researchers can reorganize and organize the space uh, according to uh, according to their practice and what i what i'm kind of proposing on the kind of utopian level is that institutions has to have to uh, be aware that this rhythm of organization and disorganization um, has to has to be established within the institution. Otherwise, the institution is just busy with maintaining um, with maintaining the status quo of, of the spaces that they're uh, that they're giving out. I'm very happy to to hear this from you because actually, uh, when I had uh, a conversation with Marta, your co-participant. She was also talking about the same thing. For example, how um, uh, the w the way that an institution is organized uh, in terms of space affects the way that we relate and that we can uh, exchange with the institution. She mentioned what about moving our offices in um, the ground floor of of the museum that is visible to the public instead of being isolated on one of the top floors. And I think. That's uh, bringing up um, a really different perception of how we can deal with the question of uh, the institution. Yes. yes, I think there's a lot of sort of pre-visioning or there's a kind of a vision of the kind of a practice and the kind of needs of the artist that, that, uh, um, that, will, uh, that will come in. But I think it's also important to say, okay, we don't know. We don't know what you will need. Uh, and so that we will not make a space based on on based on some uh, some kind of knowledge of what you might need. But we just make a space based on not knowing what you might need. What you describe right now really resonates with the way that we have been designing the program of the School of Infinite Rehearsals, where we offer to the participants um, a sort of an empty space, um, a budget that they have to. Um, make a decision about collectively and in general the pro the day-to-day -day program was defined by the participants so i'm wondering you know on the one hand you are organized this for artists in brussels and then you became the participant of such a structure here yes and i found that very interesting i would be happy to hear how did you perceive that from the other end I mean, it's been incredibly educational for me to to be to be on the other end, and this was, I think, one of the main reasons why why I wanted to be uh, part of the uh, part of the program. Because yeah, it's uh, it's really it's really a chance, um, uh, yeah, great opportunity actually to <laughs> um, to to shift the roles. That's that's when I organize spaces. That's that doesn't that's very hard to make happen. That I become the participant of my own. Uh, uh, space but i think it's interesting that you say that um i'm not sure how you phrased it just now but something like an empty space right yes um, i don't think that's the actual condition because i think um the space that that you give out is is not empty the, the conditions of the of the analysis space that you're uh, right now occupying are kind of dominated by by small but um quite uh, powerful um, um, setups, and I think those setups they kept they kept also kind of reactualizing themselves throughout the throughout the two months that I that uh, that I was there. So the I think the the kind of practices that can can happen at the space um, are actually are actually quite limited, or have to um, or require 
a big amount of reorganization, um, um, uh, what I call organizational weight, uh, in order to uh, in order to take place in that space. So of course you could somehow cover the floor if you uh, if uh, if you want to uh, if you want to make a painting or or some or a kind of a messy studio. But again, this would this is not the condition that is already there, and to create that condition. Uh, the group would have to negotiate in a laborious process whether that whether everybody agrees with that, and also the group would have to negotiate with, uh, with you guys whether that's possible. So it's not a condition of entering a space and that is already messy enough to start working. What would constitute this sort of an empty space for you? I actually I don't think it has to be I don't think it has to be empty. So the spaces that I that I produced are there's a lot of floor space in the beginning, but they're already full of materials. I think what's uh, what for me is interesting is a kind of a is a kind of a signal that this that this can get messy. Uh, that that would be one of the one of the thing, and the very simple gesture that I that I always also uh, try to implement is actually get getting rid of uh, getting rid of tables and chairs um as kind of catalysts for uh for group meetings so for me one part of disorganizing not to start the day with a with a meeting around the table a table is kind of magnetic uh and when you enter the space in the morning you come together around the table and that's uh and that's the condition from where it sort of starts um so there's a it's not necessarily about the empty space but a specific conditions which disable sort of uh habitual uh modes of use of space, which were very comf uh, comfortable and used to. The table has always been part of uh, of an argument here, I have to say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I really like how you brought forward different ways of how we can foster our own spatial and temporal structures within the dominant, let's say, structure of an existing institutions. And also how you see spaces not necessarily as a resource, but as the site where new relations and alternative forms of relating can't get reproduced. Um, I'd like to jump to another question because I feel that every time we talk about um, a different way of relating, we also tend to speak on a speculative uh, uh, sense that the building process is not happening on the here and now, but uh, we often talk in a future sense, into an unforeseen or idealist future. And I'm wondering how we can come together in the here and, and now. I mean, in the spaces in the spaces that I facilitate, the building is the process. So, I, um, because there's sort of void of conventional um, supportive structures, in order to work, you first have to sort of go through this process of understanding what could be the most helpful or more even like the minimal condition for comfort or for uh, or for writing or for meeting or for this any any kind of process. So for me, speculative building is actually not necessarily something that happens in the future, but it, the the moment of speculation is sort of um, speculating on. Uh, speculating of what what the structure that we need right now could be. So it's it, the future is much closer. So the future is the future is like in two hours or or tomorrow. Or we we need a reading place. So we quickly sort of design and and build a reading place for for the meeting uh, for the meeting right now. 
that that for me is the that for me is the the speculative part trying to understand how um how to design for specific needs and conditions in one of your texts you actually mentioned that the fictional break is uh, what instigates a process of commoning within an institution and i'd like to ask you what uh, role does fiction play in this process for you there's a sort of a collective fiction that is that is needed for 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 process like this to start uh you want to call maybe you want to call it utopia or a collective agreement but when when you come together in a space like this and you say and you say we're going we're going to stay here together and we're going to build our own space none of that has yet happened but nevertheless there's a commitment and that commitment is actually to 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 an idea of of creating a different space or working otherwise or, or as you say uh, constructing other relations uh so th- that is that is a kind of a fictional leap we are we are a fictional community before we are a real community so we kind of work towards actualizing that fiction that is the role that fiction plays it ca- it, it helps you to bridge somehow that that first gap um we imagine the institution otherwise and then we and then we work along that imagination I would like to close our discussion today with the the words of Audre Lord because I think that they resonate a lot with what we have been discussing and Lord says that the master's tools will, will never dismantle the master's house but this condition only threatens those who still define the master's house as their only source of support and I would like to thank you Vladimir for being with me today and for all the sharing thank you so much my pleasure and also i find i i find it very interesting uh this this quote because i sometimes use it myself um in writing but i think this this quote should not be used by institutions to sort of then relax and say okay we we cannot change anything because i think uh, this quote is meant for people who enter institutions but i think institutions who have the master's tools in that uh, in that particular in in that particular uh, uh, maybe closed interpretation do have a um do have somehow um an obligation to at least try from that from the uh, from their position thank you for listening if you want to listen to more conversations please subscribe to our channel you can find more about the unnecessary residency program and each participant at www.onassis.org This series is produced by Onassis Air. Thanks to Nikos Kolias, the sound designer of the series, and to Nikos Liberis for providing the original music intro theme.